This evening we come to the last message from the book of Philippians. Next week, Lord willing, we start the book of Ecclesiastes. And I ask that you bear with me. It's been quite a hiatus, and we had just started the book of Ecclesiastes when we broke, and uh, then when we went to online, uh, switched to the book of Philippians, all to say, I'm going to start over next week and start from the very beginning. So a lot of that's going to be a repeat, but I think it's good to remind ourselves of some of the basic aspects about the book, and uh, it won't take that long to get to the new section. So tonight we end with uh, Philippians chapter 4, verses 21 to 23. The valediction, the closing verses. And one might ask, is there much value in considering these verses? And I will confess to you a tremendous temptation that I had, and that was to skip these three verses and go to Ecclesiastes, because I've been longing uh, to uh, preach on Ecclesiastes. And as I, I looked at these verses, I thought, well, can we skip these verses? But I'm committed to going verse by verse through the scriptures. I'm in, committed to the aspect that all scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So uh, I didn't want to skip it. Let me just also answer a question that someone asked me privately this morning, and that was, did I skip 1755 to the end so that I could preach on 18 because of the events of this week? And the answer to that is no. I was always going to be preaching on 18, 1 to uh, 10, no, 1 to 19 uh, this morning. 1 to 16, I'll get it, uh, this morning. But I was going to do 17 through 55 also. But really, as you'll see next week, 1755 to the end of the chapter really fits with what happens in 817 and following. And I'll, 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 I'll connect those dots for you next week. And you'll see what I mean. But uh, no, I did not uh, skip that so I could just get to chapter 18 this morning. But as we look at this passage before us tonight, we have this closing statement. And one might ask, how important is what is revealed in a closing statement? Well, that all depends. Take a letter, for example. I don't know if you pay a lot of attention to how one signs a letter. Unless you have a unique relationship that you are just entering into with someone. I can remember when I would get letters, that's how old I am, that I actually got letters from who now is my wife, who then was my girlfriend, and the first thing I would do when I get the letter was look at the end to see how it was signed. There was a little important word that I wanted to see appear. Can you guess what it was? Love, all right? Love, Bonnie, all right? That made the letter worthwhile. That was important. 
Well, as we, we think about God's word, these throw away verses, if you will, the genealogies, <laughs> the salutations, the valedictions, it's easy to skip over them and say, well, you know, are they really, really important? And the answer is, yes, they are. Yes, they are. They're, they are significant. They contain important lessons for us. I want to think about those lessons tonight. And I have five observations from Philippians chapter 4, verses 22 to 23. This uh, valediction, which says, and uh, let me start actually with verse 21 to 23. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So five observations from these closing Verses, this valediction, this end of the passage to the Philippians. First observation is what does it mean to greet someone? It just says greet. Greet every saint in Christ. Well, at the heart of the word greet is to welcome. To welcome. We use the word greet pretty broadly. We greet people by saying, hello, how are you? Good to see you. But the overall understanding is that it is an expression of welcome, to make people feel at home, that they are a part, that you are welcoming them into your presence. You are glad to see them. So here this aspect is that there is to be this warm expression of welcoming into fellowship the people of God. Observation number two. There are no personal greetings at the close of the book of Philippians. No closing greeting at of individuals at the close to the book of Philippians. Philippians stands in direct contrast with books such as the book of Romans that has a lengthy list of greetings to individuals. Let me just read a portion. Starting at Romans 16, 6. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen, my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles. They are in Christ before me. Greet Impliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachys. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman, Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those who are workers in the Lord. And it goes on and on. So in the book of Romans, there are all these individuals who are named. There is no one named at the end of the book of Philippians. Why is that observation significant? Well, first of all, to note that the greetings 
and salutations in the Bible are not mere boilerplate. They aren't the same thing repeated over and over and over again at the close of every book. But they have their own peculiarities. They are distinct. They are significant. We may close every letter the same way. No matter who it's written to, maybe we'll say sincerely, you, you probably have a pat way in which you bring a communication to an end. But in the scriptures, there is no boilerplate. There is no common way of closing a letter. Secondly, it's important to recognize that fact because it keeps us from making erroneous applications and conclusions. It is so important, you know, I encourage you to keep reading your Bible through year after year after year, for to rightly understand a passage, you also have to know what's found in other portions of the Word of God. For other portions of the Word of God speak to issues that if you don't know what those passages say, you're very easily going to draw wrong conclusions from the passage you're in. You need to take into consideration all of what Scripture has to say. Now, that's extremely significant in books in which the same material is covered in more than one place. For example, Kings and Chronicles that tell you the same stories, but with different details. So you need to know both of what's in Kings and Chronicles if you're going to have a full sense of the story. It's even more important when you get to the New Testament and you get to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And you read about the miracles and you read about the sayings of Christ. You read about the activities. Well, you need to know which is in each gospel if you're going to have a right understanding of a particular portion that is spoken of in all three or all four gospels. For example, I read one commentary on this closing section that said the Apostle Paul did not mention anyone by name because he didn't want to offend anyone. And much application then about incorporating people and not offending people, etc., etc. But it's wrong. Paul was not afraid of singling people out, as demonstrated in the book of Romans, where he speaks to a lot of people. It's not even consistent with the book of Philippians. For there he mentions Epaphroditus. <laughs> he mentions Timothy. And even says there's no one as like-minded as he. He negatively singles out Iodiki and Syntyche. So knowing other portions of the word of God keep us from making erroneous applications. Thirdly, third observation, there is a uniqueness to this greeting that is not found anywhere else in Paul's epistles. There is something that is said here that is said nowhere else. That is found in verse 21. Greet 
every saint in Christ Jesus. Paul's typical statement is, greet all the saints. Greet all the saints. But not here. It's the only place where instead of saying greet all the saints, he says greet every saint. Every saint. That is the proper translation. That's how the King James translates it. That's how the uh, NAS translates it. However, the NIV makes it like all the others. Greet all the saints in Christ Jesus. But that's not what it says. And one might say that's a distinction without a difference. What's the difference between saying greet every saint or greet all the saints? Why does that matter? Well, especially because the word that is translated every in Greek can mean all or every. And so if it can mean all or every, isn't it kind of arbitrary to say in this one place we're going to translate it as every when all the other places it's translated as all? The answer is no, it's not arbitrary. It's based on the text and what makes it distinctive and how you know it's every and not all is because the word saint is in the singular and not the plural. If it were saints, then it would be all the saints. But because saint is singular, it means every saint. Every saint. All right. So what is the difference? What is the difference? The emphasis here is on the inclusivity of the individual. Be sure not to meet, excuse me, be sure not to miss anyone. Don't miss anyone. Not so that they aren't offended, but you realize that everyone who has a relationship to Jesus Christ is a saint. That's the point. If you know Christ, if you have a relationship to Christ, you are a saint. You are a sanctified one. You are a holy one. You are unique from the rest of the world. We all are on equal footing. You know, in Roman Catholicism, sainthood is an elevated status for some. But in the scriptures, the word for saint is every single child of God. And Philippians has a lot to say about unity, about having one mind, about being at peace with each other. And part of that theologically is with the understanding that we all are on the same footing before our Lord and Savior. We're all saints. We're all saints. Unlike the Judaizers that said they needed to be circumcised or go through some other rite or ritual in order to be fully accepted by God, he's saying everyone 
is a saint. There is nothing more for you to do. There is no second step in your relationship to Christ that makes you more acceptable, more significant, more important, or more a part of the body of Christ than simply being united to Christ. Which brings us to the next statement. Greet every saint in Christ. In Christ. That means in relationship to Christ. That is what creates a saint. Those who are in Christ. If you're in Christ, you are a saint. Observation number four. Not just Paul, but others greet the saints at Philippi as well. First, the co-workers of Paul greet the saints. Verse 21. The brothers who are with me greet you. The brothers who are with me greet you. His co-workers. Secondly, those who have come to faith in Christ greet the Philippians. All the saints greet you. Now, here we have the brothers. Here we have all the saints. It's interesting that he's going to divide all the saints up into groups. All the saints covers everybody. But even though all the saints would include the brothers, and even though all the saints is going to include the next group that he lists, he gives us these lists. And in that list, he says in verse 22, especially those of Caesar's household. There is a uniqueness of the greetings that are sent by those who are in Caesar's household. Why especially those of Caesar's household? Well, first, because the gospel had reached even to those who were servants of Caesar. If you remember back in Philippians chapter 1, when they are concerned for the imprisonment of the Apostle Paul and what were going to be the ramifications for this gospel now that Paul was in prison, does this mean that the gospel is going to come to a grinding halt? Does this mean that now the word of God is going to be stymied? So Paul writes in Philippians chapter 1, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, I don't want you to be unaware that these things have happened under the furtherance of the gospel. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Paul says this has given me a unique opportunity to witness Don't be discouraged by my imprisonment. God is in control. God has a purpose. The gospel is being preached. That was the message of verse 1. Now in in chapter 4, we have the fruit of that gospel being preached. That is, there are saints in the household of Caesar that greet you. You now have brothers and sisters in the Lord in Caesar's 
household. And what makes that so especially significant is you can't imagine how hard that would have been for them to believe that. You mean to tell me that there are people in Caesar's household, these guards, these people that have been so opposed to Christ and the gospel, these ones who are watching over you in prison, that there are actually believers among them? Yes. Yes. They send you greetings. It's easy to think that there are no believers in certain areas, that there are untouchables when it comes to the gospel. There are places where we'd be amazed, I think, to think that there are actually brothers and sisters in the Lord there. Be careful. Be careful. Because God's word is powerful. Because God is able to bring people to himself. And yes, there are saints in the household of Caesar. And the flip side of that is also pretty amazing. And that is that these people who are now believers in the household of Caesar send you greetings. They're willing to identify with you. They're willing to identify with the gospel. They're watching over Paul in prison. They know why he's in prison. He's in prison because for the gospel's sake, he's in prison because he has identified with Christ. And now, here are those who are guarding him in prison for his identified with Christ, who now identifies with Christ's servants. Who are not just identifying with Paul, but even identifying with the Philippians. We are one of you. They are glad to say it. They are proud to say it. They are risking imprisonment to say it. They send you greetings. They send you greetings. Observation number five concerning the closing benediction. Philippians 4.23 The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Again, kind of an unusual close. And what is noteworthy here is that the pronoun your is in the plural. We can never figure that out in English except looking for modifiers that would tell us that, but the your is collective. Your spirit. The Lord is with your spirit. What is significant is the word spirit is in this singular. So if it were talking to each individual, if that were an admonition, or if that was a word of encouragement, or if the application 
was to be to every single believer, it would say, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirits. Meaning Pastor Dave's spirit, Amy's spirit, Caleb's spirit, Bonnie's spirit, Ralph's spirit. Our, all of your spirits, may the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. But it's singular. So it is saying, may the Lord be with your spirit collectively. One spirit. That goes all the way back to Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So this one spirit is this unified mind of striving together for the sake of the gospel. So this benediction is, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your one-mindedness. May through the grace of Christ you stay unified. May you stay committed to one another and to his work. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And then amen. Simply, so be it. So be it. May God grant it. What is most needed to stand together with one mind, working together in one spirit, is the grace of the Lord. Philippians chapter 4, Paul writes, I entreat Yodia, I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also ask you, true companions, help those women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. In order to have real unity among God's people, first of all, it means we need to be recipients of grace. We need to be recipients of grace. We're saved by grace through faith. We have a relationship to Christ through grace. We have a relationship to one another because of our relationship to Christ through grace. And then if that unity is going to be manifest, we have to extend grace to one another. There needs to be a spirit among us of forgiveness, of humility, of acceptance. Yodi and Syntyche needed to be gracious to each other. Not quick to be offended. Not quick to throw in the towel. Not quick to give up on our brother and sister in Christ. But be gracious. Be gracious. Be understanding. Be compassionate. Extend unto them unmerited favor. Treat them in a way in which they don't deserve to be treated. Treat them better than they deserve, even as 
God treats us better than what we deserve. Welcome them simply because they're a brother and sister in Christ, even as God welcomes us solely because we're a brother and sister to Christ. Greet one another. Make them feel welcome. Be a part. Understand that everyone's a saint. Understand the marvelous truth of the gospel reaching people that we would never imagine it reaches. And yes, they're a part of us. Yes, we should make them feel welcome. Yes, we need to recognize that they are on even footing with us. And then just marvel, not just the people that we welcome, but that people welcome us. Willing to identify with us. Rejoice, rejoice. I remember when I was in high school, there was a guy on the basketball team with me that uh, particularly gave me a hard time for my faith. There was a, a period of time when uh, a game was over, the, the whole team was going to go out and party, and I knew they were going to drink and do some other things, and so they would invite me to go along, and I would say, no, I'm not going. And then they invite me after the next game, and no, I'm not going. And I realized pretty soon that this was just going to be an endless round. And so finally they asked me to go, and I said, look, guys, you know, I appreciate you. You know, I enjoy being on this team, but I'm not going to go to this party with you. That's just not who I am. You don't need to ask me again because my answer is always going to be no. But, you know, it's because of what I believe. And, and I hope you understand that. Well, I had one guy that was really hard on me. Most of the guys, they, they didn't care. I mean, I'm not the most wonderful person to be around, so I don't think I was missed. But this one guy, man, he gave me a hard time. Made fun of me, ridiculed me. Just gave me a hard time. Well, one day... I was sitting in church. This is a few years later. I was sitting in church, and all of a sudden he walks in. And he sits down. Sat through church. And I got up and walked over to him, and I said, Oh, man, it's great to see you. What brings you here? And he said, You. He said, I've come to know the Lord. And he said, I knew this is where you went to church. So I wanted to come and tell you. And then he explained it. He grew up in a Christian home. He was very rebellious. He was angry at his parents. He was angry at the Lord. He wanted nothing to do with church or with God. And so he had it out for me because I represented everything that he didn't want to be around. But God saved him. God saved him.
And he walked in that door. I was really surprised to see him. But I was happy to see him. And he became one of my best friends. God's grace is an incredible thing. And we can be grateful for God's work in our brothers and sisters in Christ. Greet every saint in the Lord. Let's pray. Almighty God, I thank you tonight for my brothers and sisters in Christ. I thank you for each one who is here. I thank you for their participation in the gospel. I thank you that what unites us is not our common interests. It's not the sports that we play. It's not the activities that we go to. It's not the interests that we have. Our one bond is Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you for that bond. I thank you how it breaks down barriers. I thank you how it brings old and young together, black and white, male and female, ethnicities, people that are quite different from one another, and yet simply because of a common faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It makes us brothers and sisters. Lord, one day our union is going to be perfect. In one day, our fellowship will be unbroken. One day when you are in your presence, gathered together with people of every tribe, tongue, and nation, in perfect harmony, we are going to sing your praise. Give us a taste of heaven, even this night. May nothing be more important to us in our relationship to one another than our faith in the Lord Jesus. May that conquer all of our differences. May we be so committed to you that we have to be committed to one another. For we are your children, your spirit is in each of us. You are at work. May the mind of Christ be manifest. May God be with our spirit. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, and you are dismissed.